So at the very beginning of Christianity, remember that all of the Christians were Jews, which sounds contradictory. But uh, remember that Jesus was a Jew and the Blessed Mother was a Jew and the, the disciples were Jews. And then um, the way that it was sort of commonly understood at the very beginning was that you needed to be a Jew to be a follower of Christ. And so um, there was a great debate in the early church as to whether Gentiles, non-Jews, needed to convert to Judaism to become Christians. Um, and the Jews, the Jews, sort of the, the, you know, the pure Jews, if you will, the ones who were not followers of Christ, were really upset about these new followers of Christ, these Christians, because they saw the followers of Christ as sort of polluting their religion, uh, sort of taking it, you know, in a, in a direction that it ought not go. And so the, principally one of the things that the, the early Jewish Christians were doing was they were still going to temple, they were still celebrating everything as Jews, but they were also celebrating this new meal, communal meal. They were taking the, the bread and they were taking the wine and they were saying the blessing and they were, you know, they were doing what Jesus told them to do. We call this, and they called this, uh, the Eucharist. They were sharing Eucharist. Uh, but they were just sort of combining it with what they did as Jews. And the Jews were upset about this and they were persecuting the followers of Christ because of it. Now Paul comes on the scene and the kind of the innovation that he brings is that he has this revelation that Gentiles do not need to become Jews to become Christians, which was a great relief to a lot of the Gentiles, most of the Gentiles, the grown men particularly. They did not have to become Jews to become Christians. And this also really made the Jews upset. Now the reason why, I don't know if you know this, but the reason why is because the Jews were, remember, God's chosen people. But now, these Christians are saying that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Messiah. And you don't have to be a Jew to receive the Messiah. And Paul's saying, well, wait a second, you all rejected him as the Messiah. Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So really, your opinion in the matter shouldn't really matter all that much. But they were still upset about it nonetheless. So they persecuted Paul and, and Barnabas. They continued to persecute the, the early Christians quite ruthlessly, killed some of them, etc. We heard uh, in previous readings of, of St. Stephen who was killed uh, by a group of Jews because, again, they saw him as polluting the faith. Now, we get to the second reading. We have this vision of John, you know, from Revelation. And John is having this vision of sort of the end times, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And he sees this great multitude of people wearing white robes that have become white because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, which that seems contradictory to wash white in blood and for it to become more white right, and purified seems, you know, contradictory. But what, what John is getting at, or what the symbolism is getting at, is these, this great multitude who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb 
This multitude are martyrs. They've, sh they've shared in the sufferings of Christ, right? They have shared in his blood. And by sharing in his blood, by sharing in his sufferings, they have become purified. So that when he sees this great multitude um, in their white robes, that's what, he's, that's what he's referencing, is that they've become purified. So in the first reading, we have these, these early Christians being persecuted, and of course, many of them were killed. Um, and then at the end of time, we have this great multitude, more than anyone could count, who have been persecuted and killed and shared in the sufferings of Christ. Right? And then we have the gospel, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. No one can take them out of my hand and they will never perish. Again, this seems a bit of a contradiction because... As we heard, all, all of the martyrs, to be a martyr, means to perish. Right? Obviously, Christ's vision and view of life is greater than this life, greater than worldly uh, dominion, as it were, worldly uh, life, earthly life. So when he says that no one will perish, he's, he's thinking of eternity. He's speaking of eternity. And when you reflect back on Paul and Barnabas in the first reading, when you reflect back on this entire multitude, not just the early Christians who were persecuted and killed uh, by, the, by some of the Jews, by, by the, the Romans, um, all throughout history, how Christians have been killed, even to this day, how Christians continue to be persecuted and killed in many countries, even to this day, how in our country, where we're supposed to have religious freedom, uh, religious freedoms are consistently encroached upon uh, by our government and by other, uh, by other groups who claim to be representing freedom, but generally want to usurp the freedoms of Christians and, and particularly Catholics. We're always going to be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted to some degree, if we're not being persecuted to some degree, then one might question how well we're being Christian at all. I think it's a good reflection for each of us. Now, we, we ought not go looking for persecution, and I don't mean going and looking for death. Persecution can be in many forms, ridicule, you know, people scoffing at us, people um, you know, being, being very critical of us, oh, you Catholics, all that. Um, arguing with us, etc. If we're not standing up for what we believe in, there's a really good chance we'll never be persecuted. The easy life of a Christian is to never state what we believe. The easy life for, for a Catholic is to never take a stand. Then we'll never be persecuted. But this is not the kind of life that, that Christ has called us to. It's not the kind of life he was called to. And as he consistently calls his disciples, he calls us to take a stand. He calls us to take a stand when it comes to matters of truth, when it comes to matters of life, when it comes to matters of freedom, even if that means persecution. And there's, a, there's enough difficult teachings. If you need a few, just ask me. I can give you a few that if you just want to start talking about them at work, you'll get persecuted pretty quickly. <laughs> you should know the issues, though. You know, it doesn't take much just to take a stand. 
But what the Lord wants us to do is ultimately to pick a side. He really does. And this is what he, you know, he gets at it in many different places. But, but he says, look, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They don't follow anyone else. They follow me. They know my voice. All right. And to know the master's voice means, first of all, to, to become accustomed to his voice. You have to, you have to open your ears. We have to open our ears. We have to listen for his voice. When was the last time that you're sure that God spoke to you? When was the last time? Just reflect on that. When was the last time you know that God spoke to you? Because God speaks rather regularly. I mean, it's not generally the voice in the head kind of thing. Or the voice from, you know, like Moses from the bush or on the mountain. You know, normally if you're hearing voices, that's not a good thing. Just so you know. God speaks a little differently. He speaks in prayer. He speaks in the quiet of prayer. But it takes a certain disposition to hear him. We have to quiet ourselves. We have to sort of bring a, a peacefulness about ourselves. And in prayer, the more that we empty out and ask him to speak, there's that silence. Remember when Moses, Moses was told to go up the mountain, go up the mountain, you're going to meet God. And uh, he's like, all right, you know, because he did what God said. And he goes up the mountain. There's an earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. There's a great fire. God wasn't in the great fire. And then he heard a, a a small whispering breeze. It's a paraphrase. God was there. That's where God was. And he hid his face because he knew that God had appeared. What we're called to do is to dispose ourselves to listen for God's voice. He wants to speak to us. When we're little, when we're older, when we're really old, God still wants to speak to us, but we need to listen. And when we, when we do hear his voice, he will direct us. He will direct us. And then we need the courage, we need the faith to do what he asks of us, even if that means persecution, even if that means suffering, even if that means sometimes doing what we wouldn't probably do ourselves, making a decision we would normally make if it were just up to us. But living our lives being directed by God is what it means to be a Christian. Please stand.